0: Discover community, find hope, and experience God. This is Discovering Hope with Pastor Paul Knight. Are we crazy? Like, like the idea that a group of intelligent, well, relatively intelligent, people could gather together and say we believe things, like a man walked on water, that a man rose from the dead. That there was a flood that covered the earth. I mean, there's some pretty fantastically weird things in the Bible. And apart from the acknowledgement that we serve a supernatural God, it would seem kind of crazy. And for some of us, and I know this is true, I I ran into a person at the hockey game last night who brought a guest last week, and if that guest is here, I am thrilled that you're here. Uh, The guest was a little bit surprised that from the front of our church we talked about it being okay to have doubts. Uh, Because it's a big thing. It's a really big thing to believe the Bible. And there's pieces of it that requires steps of faith, but there's also, there's also enough historical reliability in here that makes it probable. A- and we're going to talk about that, but before we do that, I want, I want to read a quote from, from Sam Harris, who's a neuroscientist, author, philosopher, podcaster, host, a contemporary. Uh, he was born into a Christian family and has now become an atheist, which is happening all around us. He writes this. Tell a devout Christian that his wife is cheating on him or that frozen yogurt can make a man invisible, and he's likely to require evidence just like anybody else. But tell him that the book he keeps by his bed was written by an invisible deity who will punish him with fire for eternity if he fails to accept his incredible claim about the universe, and he seems to require no evidence whatsoever. that somehow Sam says that Christians don't think. And and one of the things that's amazing to me and comforting for me is is right from the start, right from the start, the Christ followers, the early Christ followers, they sought evidence. Like when you you read about Jesus rising from the dead and, and Peter heard the news, what's the first thing that he did? He ran to check it out. He ran to the tomb and, 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 and looked, and, and John ran to the tomb and grabbed the clothing that was wrapped around the body of the risen Savior to check it out. Thomas said, and I mentioned this last week, Thomas said last week, I'm not going to believe it unless I can stick my fingers in his hand where the nail prints were, and Jesus came and didn't shame Thomas, didn't ridicule Thomas. He, he said, here. The Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was formerly known as the man named Saul. Saul was an opposer of Christianity. He hated Christianity. He fought with all his strength to destroy Christianity. And all through the ages, thinking people have been looking at and wondering about the reliability of the Scriptures. Our our, our message title today is, The Bible is, 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 is Historically Reliable. And you can trust it. I, I want to give us some confirmation, some things. I, I can't prove the Bible's true to you. Because right? there's things in there that are unprovable because they're supernatural. But I want to give us enough confirmation that we can begin to think about the trustworthiness of Scripture. I love the account of Thomas and, and the Apostle Paul writing to him. I read this last week. He says, but as for you, Paul writing to Thomas, a, a son of but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. I I love that phrase, having become convinced of, because many of us, we grow up learning all kinds of things, but then all of a sudden, or maybe gradually, doubts seep in. We start thinking, is this really true? I'm staking my life on this. Is this really true? And, And it says here that Thomas had become convinced of it, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it and now from, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God breathed that God made sure that the words that we have and the message that we have were the very words and message that he wants us to have here's something that's interesting Josh McDowell gathered has been gathering, gathering evidence through my whole lifetime Josh McDowell is an apologist a person who defends the faith he says that there's 25,000 archaeological finds that directly or indirectly prove that the Bible is trustworthy historically 25,000 pieces of confirmation that the Bible is trustworthy. Here's something. I, I, I've been, I've had the privilege of going to Israel a couple times and all the whole last trip, I kept saying this over and over and over. Archaeology has never dug up anything that disproves the Bible. Let me say that again. And I'm going to say it about 25 more times. Archaeology, listen, archaeology has never dug up anything that has disproved the Bible. What it does is over and over and over, it gives us confirmation that the Bible is actually true. I, I want to take a passage of Scripture and I'm going to misuse it. right? It's the passage where Jesus is driving into, into, into Jerusalem on the donkey, the triumphal entry, and, and the scribes and Pharisees tell him, tell these people to stop because they're waving palm branches and they're crying out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus says this, that if they stop crying out, the rocks and stones themselves will cry out. Now, I don't think this is what Jesus is talking about, but when you look at archaeology, when you start to look at the rocks and the stones, when you stand in the places of the Bible, it's like the rocks and stones are crying out, that we can believe that it's trustworthy, that God's word is faithful and true, that God's Word will live on through eternity and all of creation is displaying its truth. Let, let me give us a couple walkthroughs of, of some confirmations of why I believe that the Bible is trustworthy. Right? Here, here's the first one. The discovered places, the discovered places confirm the trustworthiness of the Bible. We, we don't read the Bible like a map. Right? But when you read the Bible you, and start to study it, you realize that the people who were writing and the people they were writing about knew where they had been. They knew where they were, and they knew where they were going. And when you read the Bible, you can start to see that the actual places that they're talking about, even though secular history hasn't always confirmed it yet, they seem to know where they have been. And they can describe it. And when you find those places, you, you look and you oh my, well, it's just like the Bible has said. Places like Jericho. Places like Bethlehem. Places like Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, for many, many years, most of your lifetime, has been believed to be a fictitious story. A place that wasn't able to be identified on a map. In the story, in the book of Genesis, Genesis 14, there's five cities that are mentioned around this city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and none of them have been found or confirmed in history until, until, until the last 15 years. They've uncovered this area, and they've uncovered writings that say that this city and this city and this city, and you can read about them in the book of Genesis, that they're actually real. But what's also interesting is when you read the book of Genesis, when you read about it, let me quote this. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was regarded as a religious legend until evidence revealed that all five of the cities mentioned in Genesis 14 were in fact centers of commerce in the area and were graphically situated just as the scriptures described. That's the last 15 years, folks. Because what's happening is the archaeological science is going crazy excited by the evidence of the historical reliability of God's word. Now, not all the scientists or all the archaeologists believe that it's God's word that's given him. Matter of fact, uh, one scientific journal says this about Sodom and Gomorrah. Some of you may, may not know this. The city of Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by the judgment of God. We call it brimstone and fire. And the whole area was just like, Decimated. This is how science describes it. As the inhabitants of an ancient Middle Eastern city now called Tel El Hammam went about, which we know as Sodom and Gomorrah, went about their daily business one day about 3,600 years ago, they had no idea an unseen icy space rock was speeding toward them at about 38,000 miles per hour. Flashing through the atmosphere, the rock exploded into a massive fireball about 2.5 miles above the ground. The blast was around 1,000 times more powerful than a Hiroshima atomic bomb. The shocked city dwellers who stared at it were blinded instantly. Air temperatures rapidly rose to 3,600 degrees Fahrenheit. Clothing and wood immediately burst into flames. Swords, spears, mud bricks, and pottery began to melt, and almost immediately the entire city was on fire. Or God brought judgment on a city, and melted the earth around it. Matter of fact, when you go there, I guess, I've not been to this site yet, that you, you can see, and, and one of the puzzling things is why the inhabitants around there for hundreds of years never inhabited and they discovered that there's massive amounts of salt in that area, and so that the ground was actually ruined by the salt, and science says that it was when that explosion happened probably the Dead Sea went into this kind of cataclysmic uh, eruption and poured salt all over the area matter of fact if you go there there's a salt pillar it looks like a woman no I'm just kidding that person up there right but, but the area just just as described in the Bible Sodom and Gomorrah again Archaeology has never dug up anything that disproves the Bible. You don't have to believe it, but you have to recognize that it is historically reliable. Here's another thing. It's Megiddo, where the last battle is going to be held of mankind in what's called the Armageddon, the last battle. There's this city that they've uncovered there. It's a city attributed to King Solomon. There, there's a city there, there's a gate there, and then there's stables, all kinds of them, thousands of them. Matter of fact, in most of your lifetimes, it, it was assumed that back then, people were too ignorant to really have thousands of horses. They didn't have the capacity to manage and to feed and to care for. Matter of fact, in, in, in Second Chronicles chapter 9, verse 25 to 28, let me, let me read it. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horses which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. He ruled over all the kings of the Euphrates rivers to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from all over the world. When you read about the possibility of 4,000 stalls, you have to get your head around the idea that this was an advanced culture. And these were amazing. And, and up until recently, <laughs> matter of fact, I, I have a picture here. Uh, wrong one. It's the one of the, uh, the manger. Oh, I don't have a picture here. Okay, well, I do have a picture in my brain because I've been there. It's, the mangers are made out of stone and, and they're carved out for the horses to eat and, and there's walls and there's thousands of them. You can actually go there and, and it's not 100% or 1,000% sure Solomon's, except the indicators are that it, that it was Solomon's stable. Nelson Glueck, a, a Jewish archaeologist, says this, don't walk away from the first sign of a contradiction or a problem. Sometimes scientific study needs to play catch-up with the Bible. I like that. Not that I'm anti-science. But science doesn't prove or disprove the scriptures. At least it hasn't yet. And sometimes science has to catch up because archaeology has never uncovered anything that disproves the Bible. The pool of Bethesda, Bethsaida, the pool of Beseda. Back, again, for many, many, many years. In the Gospel of John, it talks about this story, this amazing story of this man who's infirm, crippled. And he's laying by this pool, and the story goes like this, that when the water is stirred in the pool, the first one in the pool gets healed. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. Matter of fact, for many, many, many years, people said, John must have just made that story up because there's no sheep gate found, as he describes, and there's no pool with five colonnades and roofs. And so he must have just made it up until the 1800s when they uncovered, when they uncovered the pool with the colonnades and have been there as well. That you, that you can look at them, and let's go back to that one that was just there you can see where the roof structures would have been. And you can see the steps down into the pool, and you realize that, oh my goodness, and there's a gate. That John wasn't just making something up. That archaeology has never uncovered anything, has never dug up anything that disproves the Bible. Even though history and secular understanding would have said that was a made-up story, until they uncovered it. Let me show you a couple other quick images. This is, these are the images of some steps that are at, lead up to Caiaphas' house. Right, uh, and, and on these steps, we know these come from the time of Jesus. Matter of fact, the first time I was in Israel, I, I, because I wanted to walk on the footsteps of Jesus, I went like this, all the way up the steps. I hit every stone all the way up. Now it's blocked off, you can't go in there. But we know that this was a, one of the spots where Jesus Christ walked. And when you get up to the top of the hill, there's Caiaphas's house, and there's these dungeons in there where Jesus would have been held prior to his crucifixion. And then we have this spot, this spot of the garden tomb. And I'm not sure that that's the spot where Jesus was laid, because here's the deal. He only stayed there a couple days, so... They didn't mark it out. But what that does show us is what a tomb looked like and the big stone that would have been rolled away and the privilege that we have of walking in the land and seeing things and knowing that God has spoken through the rocks and stones. There are place after place after place after place after place that have been identified, discovered, And in the discoveries, we can say, this is historically reliable. Here's another form of confirmation. It's the identified people confirm the trustworthiness of the Bible. The identified people. When you read the New Testament and when you read the Old Testament, there's all kinds of names used. And here's the thing. The names of people identify actual people. And and like, like, there's this story of Simon of Cyrene, and his sons, Alexander and Rufus, and they're referred to later in the book of Romans. Here, here's why I think that's so significant, that if you didn't believe the story of Simon of Cyrene carrying the cross of Christ, you could go ask his kids who were there. You could go into the town and say, hey, did anybody know Alexander and Rufus? Little Rufio, that's what his nickname was. That, no, I don't know that. Right? Would raise his hand and say, well, I'm him. And you can say, tell me the story. You, you have stories, you have names like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, Joseph, Nebuchadnezzar, Lydia, Festus, Herod Antipas, Herod the Great, Pontius Pilate, Barabbas, Caiaphas, all of these names are important because they are proofs or, or confirmations of the historical reliability of the Bible. F.F. F. Bruce who's a preacher, writes this, it can't have been so easy as some writers seem to think to invent words and deeds of Jesus in those early years when so many of his disciples were around who could remember what had happened and what had not happened. Maybe what he's saying is most of the New Testament was given to us while those people were still alive. And so the confirmation of them, historically, you could go ask. Matter of fact, one of the historical things, not, not everybody you meet in Jerusalem or in Israel is gone. Matter of fact, I found my uh, first grade teacher. Uh, <laughs> she hasn't changed a bed. <laughs> I'm just kidding, that's not her. I think it's a distant relative. Although, just to be clear, right after that picture, I got like a third of a smile. <laughs> it was beautiful. In the Old Testament, there's a man called Balaam. When you identify the people, and again, Balaam was another one of those people that people historically had said, we don't have any evidence of him. Some of you may remember the story of Balaam. Balaam was a seer, he was a person who spoke on behalf of God or or was called upon to to curse other cities, right? He was on his way, and an angel stood in the pathway, and the donkey that he was riding on stopped and went out into the field, and so Balaam beat the donkey. It's a a crazy story. Uh, He went at it again, and and the angel blocked the way, and it says the donkey moved up against the wall of the path and crushed Balaam's foot. Balaam beat the donkey. Third time, the donkey just lays down at the sight of the angel, and then the donkey speaks. (laughs) And says, why do you keep beating me? because God has blocked the way with his angels. Now, that part of the story, that's where faith comes in. But what's happened is historically people have said that this man named Balaam never existed. But it changed when they found a document that says this, the warnings of the book of Balaam, son of Beor who is a seer of the gods. We read about him in Numbers 22 and Joshua 24. Science will probably never convince us that a donkey can speak, but here's what's true. The historical reliability of a man named Balaam existed. And here's some other little piece of information that Balaam was going in opposition to God's call. It says in James chapter four that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I wonder if there's a few of us that are a little bit like Balaam, and that God would oppose us, and maybe a donkey isn't going to speak to you. But you never want to exist in opposition to God. So for those of us who struggle in doubt, I'm not saying you're too proud not to believe, but I'm saying have the intellectual integrity to pursue truth. Up until recently, King David was unheard of. Outside. Can you imagine that? King David, the most famous person other than Jesus Christ in in Jewish history. In secular history, up until 1993, there was no outside of the biblical documents evidence of King David until they found this rock at Tel Dan. I've been there. I took a picture of it. That's not the one I took. But you can see, actually, you don't read that kind of language, do you? It refers to the house of King David, which is the first evidence of this amazing king who gave us the Lord's, the, the, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Can you imagine if historically that man never existed and we had all of these stories about him? But the truth is, the truth is, the historical reliability is that David did exist. There's a reference to him. He's the one who we read the story about when kings were going out to war. He stood on the roof and watched another woman bathe and invite her into his house. If you were trying to fake a story, why would you put that in there? But it's a lesson for us of the destruction of adultery. We read about King David. He's a man after God's own heart, that his heart, although sinful, loved God. Here's another person that's identified in scripture. I, this is another one that I think is amazing. In 1961, down along the Mediterranean Sea, they, the, the archaeologists started to uncover a place called Herod's Palace. In the year 2000, I went there and and they just had parts of it uncovered. But while they were uncovering it, they, they marked the stones and they numbered them, and they, and they take care of them. They flipped a the stone over and started to brush it off. It was a stone that had been used as a step going into the theater for King, for 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 the king. And they had repaired it, and, and they flipped it over. On on the other side, it referenced Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea. That called the Pilate stone is the only time in history that his name has ever appeared in nineteen. 19- 61, the Pilate stone stands in its place. It's not that one. (laughs) That one. It refers to Pontius Pilate. And here's, again, what happens. Again, people would read the scriptures and they would say, that man didn't even exist. Why do they say that he's the one who ordered the crucifixion of Christ? Until, until they dug up a rock that had the evidence of Pontius Pilate on it at Caesarea Maritime, along the Mediterranean Sea. Here's one more set of confirmations. I'm going to give you three of them. It's the fulfilled prophecies. That all through Scripture, these these statements, these statements that say this will happen in the future, or watch this and this will happen. This is going to happen. Someone has estimated that there's 574 like slight references to the Messiah Jesus in the Old Testament, we can confirm about 300 of them. 300 statements that have come true in the life of Christ. of fact, a mathematician named Peter Stone figured out that if you took the state of Texas and you were trying to figure out if, what the probability of eight prophecies coming true in one person. If you took the state of Texas and buried it in silver dollars two feet deep, every inch of it, and then you marked one of those coins with a black X, then you mixed them all up, and you blindfolded a man and said, go find the one with the X on it. That's the probability that he assumes that it would take to actually fulfill only eight of the prophecies, eight of the 300 or more that Jesus has filled. The prophecy like the Messiah would have born in Bethlehem. Listen to this from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. The town of Bethlehem so small and insignificant, and yet the Messiah would be born from there, prophetically proclaimed. Lee Strobel writes this. Lee Strobel is an apologist. Talk about not hedging your bets. If I were asked to predict where the 100th president of the United States would be born... I would play against the odds and guess one of the major U.S. cities, such as New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, or maybe Washington. I wouldn't venture a prediction of a place like Tecumseh, Nebraska, or Velva, North Dakota. That's actually in his notes. (laughs) Or Daniels, West Virginia. What would be the chances of that happening? Why would you ever pick Bethlehem? Strobel writes again in his book, it would take more faith to maintain my atheism than it would to become a Christian. And so he became one. He was a writer for a newspaper in Chicago investigating the claims of Christianity. When you read Isaiah 53, which we've already read part of it, there were the predictions of a servant, the Messiah, who would come and suffer. The Jewish people for many, many years have always stood back and said that suffering is a reference to them, the people of Israel. But listen to this. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me, saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Verse 14, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. By the way, this is a description of crucifixion written hundreds of years prior to Jesus being crucified and many hundreds of years prior to crucifixion being invented. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare at and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. You don't control what people do with your clothes after your death. The destruction of the temple. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed by Titus, a Roman general. Jesus said these words, Jesus left the temple, was walking away when his disciples came up to him and called his attention to its building. He says, do you see these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. I want to mention one other prophecy. There's over 300 about Jesus that confirmed the reliability. But there's one yet to come. It says that Jesus will return. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. It would not have left his house to be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the, son of, the man, son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. It says in the book of Revelation, that he himself will wipe away our tears. That upon death we'll be brought to a place where there's no more death, no more sorrow, no more mourning, no more crying. The book of Revelation says that I'm coming soon. I don't know where you stand regarding whether Jesus is real or not. Whether he is who he said he was. But the historical reliability reliability of God's word is confirmed over and over and over. If you haven't surrendered, I beg you, at least have the integrity, intellectually, to run down your doubts and place them in the light and say, God, can I believe this? It was Augustine who said that the Bible are letters from home. From a father who's waiting for us. Hey, this is Pastor Paul Knight, lead pastor of Hope Church. I love that you were listening with us today. And if you don't have a local congregation that you hang out with, a, a local Sunday morning experience, we'd like to invite you to ours at 9, 10, 30, or 6 p.m. We don't want to steal you from a church if you already have one, but if you don't have a place where you hang out, 9, 10, 30, or 6 p.m. at the Grand Cities Mall, or you can visit us online at gfhope.org and listen anytime you want. Let God love you, love him in return, and love others in Jesus' name. Have a great day.